Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black people and, and people of African descent swam. Our ancestors swam for their livelihood. Uh, we talk about our ancestors from the coast of Africa who swam every day to provide for their families, whether it be at, whether it be fishing, you know, from the seas or pearl diving or just recreate, even recreational, you know, for cleansing their bodies, etc. And then we it, we input the transatlantic slave trade, which happened primarily off the coast, correct? One of my colleagues always brings to the forefront and when we're having this conversation is, why do you think they shackled our ancestors on the boat en route to the Americas, to the new land, if they did not know how to swim? Because they knew that a brother and a sister on that boat knew how to swim and was going to use that as a means of escape. So they had to shackle them by them. Because if we couldn't swim then all you got to do is put us on the boat. I'm not jumping off, 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 I'm not jumping off. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Listen, Art is not here today. He is finishing up his travels. Um, but we still got a dope-ass episode for you. It's not just its not just me, right? Today, I'm just going to tell you, today's episode is about swimming. And I, and I recognize that when you hear that, you may think to yourself, what in the world? Does swimming have to do with the normal topics that they talk about? That's exactly why we need to be here having this conversation. We have brought you other topics that don't seem to fit until you understand what's really happening. And that's why I'm so excited about today. There are a couple of reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. Part of it's story time, so just rock with me. First, as a kid, I learned to swim and loved it. I was the kid always in the pool. I took every level swimming you could take. I was a guppy up to a minnow all the way to a shark. I don't know if they even still keep that classification, but I did all of them constantly in the water. As I got older, I started, I went to the swim team. Now, I didn't win a whole lot, but I was on the swim team. I was a monster in backstroke. I think I won like two or three events in the backstroke. That's where it stopped. You asked me to butterfly, Game over. Shut it down. I was a big kid. It wasn't happening. <laughs> but I loved the sport. And I've stayed in the pool my entire life, right? I grew up in a neighborhood that was not as diverse as I wanted it to be. So that meant there was a neighborhood pool around. It was primarily white. But as I learned and, I, and as I got better, I made my way to where my black folks were. I went to the municipal pools. And it was dope. I had brothers and sisters all around me. But that led to my confusion later in life when I began hearing that black folks don't swim because in my world, that's down near all we did, especially in the summer. 
It was hot in Mississippi, and all we did was swim. Secondly, I had a conversation with a good friend, I don't know, two months ago maybe, and he had called me and was talking about his son's experience at a swim camp at Howard University. And he told me that Howard University was the only HBCU that had a swimming and diving team. That blew my mind. Because again, for me, in my world, black folks swim. We swam. We swam in. However you want to say it, right or wrong. We were in that pool. We were in the water. So it blew my mind that Howard was the only place, from an HBCU standpoint, that had a swimming team. I had to dig deeper. Third, you may remember this, you may not. It brought me all the way back to a story I remember hearing about and reading about like a decade ago. And it's a tragic story. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from an article that I pulled from the BBC regurgitating this story. And it, it, it leaned on me with the importance of understanding the relationship between black folks in swimming pools, race and swimming, and the gap that we have to fill. Here's the article. A month ago, six African-American teenagers drowned in a single incident in Louisiana, prompting soul-searching questions about why so many young Black Americans can't swim. When 15-year-old DeKendricks Warner accidentally stepped into deeper water while wading in the Red River in Shreveport, he panicked. Jatavius Warner, Takitha Warner, Jamarcus Warner, Latrell Stewart, and Lataven Stewart, and Ladaria Stewart all rushed in to help him. Every one of them went into that water to help the Kendricks. None of them could swim, and all six drowned. The Kendricks was rescued by a passerby. Can you imagine the pain that those two families went through that night? Can you imagine the impact of one single child stepping into deeper water than he or she is ready for and everybody dies? I'm just taking a moment to let you sit with that. That's from not knowing how to swim. That is from the myth and the stereotype that black folks do not swim. That is dangerous. That's why we're here today. On Wild Black, you know, we talk about any and everything that has to do with black folks, and black folks are any and everything, so that means here we talk about it all. In case you forgot, welcome to Wild Black. We've got a dope guest who can help fill in these gaps. I mentioned to you that Howard University is the only HBCU with a swimming and diving team, and we are blessed to have their Hall of Fame coach, Nick Askew with us today. Nick is the brother that my guy Thomas called me about raving, saying you got to have this conversation. I reached out to him. They were gracious enough to grant me an audience, and we are here and blessed to have it. Coach Askew, Nick, my brother, welcome to Wild Black. Darius, Darius, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Brother, I, I did a little intro. I told him who you were. But I know I didn't do it justice. Would you take a few moments and tell the wild black audience who the hell you really are? <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, I'm just another black man in America, to be honest with you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Look, um, but, uh, you know, in, in all, in all uh, honesty, man, I, I'm, 
I'm just a, I'm just a guy doing a job. You know, I'm doing the Lord's work, quite honest yeah. with you. I'm the director and head coach of Howard University Swimming and Diving, um, as well as the tennis program here at Howard. Um, I've been around the water for as long as I can remember. I'm originally from Kenston, North Carolina, small town, just an hour east of Raleigh and an hour west of the coast. So we like to, you know, say that we're, we're between the capital and the coast there in North Carolina. Um, I was very fortunate to have, you know, a lot of recreational facilities there. There were tennis courts, there was a swimming pool, um, there was a track and a baseball field. And those became the sports that I jumped into very early. And then in high school, started narrowing it down, uh, played tennis and, and swam all four years of high school and then got an opportunity to get offered a college scholarship to swim and, uh, de- and decided that Howard University would be the place that I would continue my, my swimming and academic career and um, had four great years here. And after that, uh, I was going into to medicine uh, and had some things happen in my life that made me change my mind and wanted, I decided to be in you know, a different direction of, of, of a healthy lifestyle. I wanted to be more on the prevention side. So um, went into coaching full time and fast forward, uh, 2014, got the opportunity to be the head coach for the swimming and diving program here at Howard. Um, basically they told me that, uh, you know, um, I needed to be able to come in and, and write some of the, the things that were not going right. And if I wasn't going to be capable of doing it, then, you know, the program was going to be in, in vast danger. So I'm really happy that since I've been here, you know, things have gone the right direction and we continue to push the limits and we continue to do things, um, that, that bring a lot of exposure and a lot of light to, the competitive side of swimming and diving in, in our African-American community, but also to bring a spotlight onto, just as you mentioned, to swimming as a life skill. Because in this country, in our community, it's a public health crisis. I get it. I get it. One thing I heard you say is, realistically speaking, understanding that Howard is the only HBCU with yeah. these programs is that really you are a big factor in, in why it didn't go extinct in HBCU. So I want to say appreciation for that in the first place, because we, we couldn't be having this conversation without you doing that. Yeah. But we still got to get into this wild black shit. Are you ready? I'm ready, I think. All right, all right, all right, all right. Three questions. Okay. They all are tied to the culture in some way or another. The third question is our signature question that we ask every single guest. I'm going to start with number one. So much of our culture is built around our movies. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm going to list out several of our dope black films. And all you have to do, this is an easy one. All you have to do is give me your favorite line from one or two of them. Okay. Love Jones. Loving Basketball, Foxy Brown, Drumline, The Five Heartbeats, Juice, Poetic Justice, The Wood. I purposely left Friday off because everybody can quote Friday. <laughs> Love but you, Jones, but you missed Basketball, so, Foxy Brown. You missed Brown. so many other more. Oh, man. I, I did, I did, I did. Bunch, I'm seeing where you're going with this. You got a bunch of love stories in there, uh, Darius. What, what, what you trying to tell me, bro? I didn't even <laughs> notice that. You're right. Because juice, juice, juice is a love story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Ah, um, <gasps> Josh. And you know, the crazy thing is I've watched all of those in my youth for sure. Um, but as busy as my lifestyle is, I have not watched, uh, anything as of late. I, I'm not even, you know, hit to a lot of the stuff that's on the shows now, but, um, you know, I, one of the lines, uh, from, from, uh, love and basketball, you know, outside of the old girl hanging up, you know, the, 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 the follow through or the finish off of her jumper, you know, she yep. got, uh, one part yep. of that movie, she's like, uh, you know, I'll play you for your heart. Right. <laughs> that one, that one always stuck with me. Okay. Um, what else? What else? Um, um, I mean, you've already show. accomplished the task. You can give us more if you want, but your black card is secure. <laughs> I was trying to remember exactly, you know, sit your five dollar or one dollar answer before I make change. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. New Jack, five dollar answer for it down before I make change. Yes, 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 right. yes. I'm, I'm gonna jump to I'm gonna jump to question two. Okay. This one might be a little more difficult. We're gonna see. This is rapid fire. I've got four quick, easy, maybe easy, maybe not, depending, rapid fire questions. First one. Easy, easy. Wu-Tang rapped about cream. What does cream stand for? I got a story about that, by the way. Cash rules everything around All me. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. A little more, a little more difficulty here. Troop. <laughs> Troop was going to spread their wings and do what? That's, that's the, the yeah, band. Yeah, look at that that's, face. That's the band. They were going to spread their wings and... Spread my wings and fly away. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right. Okay. These last two, a little more thinking. What does the when does the deal think of you? What is what? I'll even I'll even help. When does Babyface and the Deal think of you? Ah, uh, <laughs> on two occasions. That's night and day. Ah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> hey, you coming through this thing swinging? Ew. All right, last one, last one. According to Blackstreet, where does Baby got him open at? Uh, no diggity. Sure to get down, good lord. Yeah, yeah, it's no diggity, no doubt. Uh, the baby got him open. Mm. If, if the song was fully playing, I'd be singing it word <laughs> for word right with them, right? <laughs> Every one of us would. I, I, baby got him open all over town. All over town. All over town. Yep. But look, out of all that, there was only one slight, and we know you know it. Black card completely secure. Thank you. Sir. Last question. Ready? Ready. What do you love most about life while black? What do I love most about life while being black? Um, you know, I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that, and it is. It, this may not you know, necessarily be well received is the fact that things have not been easy. Yeah. You know, um, I think, you know, too often in life we go around and, and we want things to be perfect. We want things to be easy and in the path to be just, you know, really simple for us, but my life has not been that way. And, and I know a lot of it has to do with 
while being, you know, being, you know, a black man, you know, being black, having black parents, growing up black and, and being, having to struggle in, in some circumstances where, you know, our white counterparts did not have to struggle. And I think that that has challenged me. That has, that has made me grow to be, you know, a better version of myself. You know, I can't imagine if everything was, was super easy and some of the, you know, the paths that I, I had taken, if I didn't take those, you know, if I didn't go through those challenges, if I didn't take those knocks, you know, where would I be? Would I be in the space that I am now? Yeah. Would I appreciate things the way that I do now? Yeah. Um, you know, so I, as hard as it is to say, you know, as much as I would, you know, probably not want to have to struggle, you know, I, I think that that's probably one of the things that's, you know, um, created uh, a life for me that, that I'm, I'm proud of, yeah. of being, you know, proud of because I've had to undergo adversity that's different than others. And um, through that, I've been able to persevere and I've been able to help others because of that. You know, the, 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 my experiences are now I'm in a position to be able to share those so that others can find their way as well. Yeah. I love that because it's, it almost, sometimes it feels corny when I think this way or when I say it, but it, it is so true. It is because I have survived all these struggles that when I find myself in a new one, I feel like I'm going to overcome that one too. I don't always know how, but something inside of me says, you've gotten through every one before. Why can't you get through this one as well? So I'm, I'm completely with you. Yeah. All right, I'm going to jump into our dope quote. Our dope quote is something from the mouth of someone black nine times out of ten. It has relevance on the episode. It comes from science or art or literature, entertainment, history, any, any area in which we operate, and we operate in all areas. But I'm going to read it to you, and then I want to get your thought on the quote itself. Are you ready? Okay, yep. Today's quote says, we have to be intrusive in spaces that are not inclusive. And this is from the brother Brandon Fleming, who we had the pleasure and honor of interviewing just a few weeks back. We have to be intrusive in spaces that are not inclusive. When you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? We have to explore the spaces that have not necessarily been, you know, open to us is the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, And we have to be brave to to be intrusive to me is, is, you know, that's not just kind of stepping in and, and, and you know, uh, kind of tiptoeing in. We, we have to have courage. We have to be brave enough to go into spaces that have not been afforded to us to, to test our limits, to, to be able to um, have, to live life, you know, at its fullest, you know, to, to what it has to offer. So I think those are the first those are the first thoughts that I have when I hear, you know, hear that particular quote. Yeah, I love it. It's, um, for me, it is about reclaiming and claiming for the first time spaces that perhaps we have not had authority or domain over. And as a person who truly mm-hmm. believes that there's nothing that we can't do as a community, as a community of people, of individuals, like that's something I truly take to heart. It's, it is a reminder that just because it's a place that has not welcomed or accepted me in the past does not mean it is a place that I cannot find myself in the middle of today or tomorrow. And when I'm there, who's to say that I can't be the centerpiece, the commanding piece, the the dominating piece? Who's to say that Mm -hmm. I can't be any of that? 
The reason that I chose that quote for this episode is because I thought about both the stereotypical history of Black folks in swimming as well as the actual history with Black folks in swimming. I thought about people like yourself who represent like the loan program in a space, right? And then I thought about things like Tiger Woods in golf, Venus and Serena, as well as Naomi Osaka in, in, in tennis. I, I thought about the fact that um, Augusta National, where the Masters has played, let their first female members in. I mean, just 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I thought about all these places where we have been, are, and need to become boldly intrusive in taking up space where we're not necessarily welcomed or invited or we don't even necessarily believe that we belong all the time. And, and it, it felt so powerful to me because I see you doing that and being honored for it and doing it in a way that's making noise. And you said a couple of things in your intro about your scholarship and and life's purpose and, and doing God's work. And I want us to get into all that, but it all plays into why I wanted to have this conversation. So are you ready to jump into the meat of this conversation? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> the obvious place that I, that I thought to start with what was this. The belief, the myth, the misconception, the truth, whatever word that we choose or someone believes belongs in this statement of why black people don't swim. Why is that? What's the history of race and swimming in this country? How far do you want to go back? My, my brother, this is <laughs> so, your show. Take us it, there. <laughs> so it, what we, what, what I've, research and, and the conversations that I have within the circles that I have the, the privilege of being around is that black people and, and, and people of African descent swam. Our ancestors swam for their livelihood. Uh, we talk about our ancestors from the coast of Africa who swam every day to provide for their families, whether it be, at, whether it be fishing, you know, from the seas or pearl diving or just recreate, even recreational, you know, for cleansing their bodies, et cetera. And then we, we input the transatlantic slave trade, which happened primarily off the coast, correct? One of my colleagues always brings to the forefront and when we're having this conversation is, why do you think they shackled our ancestors? on the boat en route to the Americas, to the new land, if they did not know how to swim. Because they knew that a brother and a sister on that boat mm. knew how to swim and was going to use that as a means of escape. Mm. So they had to shackle and bind them. Because if we couldn't swim, then all you got to do is put us on the boat. I'm not jumping off. Right. That's absolute death. But knowing that the African people, the enslaved people, at that time, did have swimming capacities and swimming capabilities, that there was the danger of them at that time, as we were deemed as property, mm. they would lose their property. Therefore, there would be a financial loss so that they, we were shackled on these boats. And then you fast forward to when we arrived to this new land and we were enslaved, most of the settlements were 
around waterways because that was the main sources of getting goods, yeah, you know, receiving yeah. from, from other places, et cetera, et cetera. But that was also a means for escape for the enslaved people because they didn't know how to swim. So what, did, what was done by the, the colonizers at that, at that time, they would institute such harsh penalties for any of the enslaved people who went near the water, in the water, as an attempt to escape, that it would set an example to all the other people who were enslaved at that time, that that would, if, if you dare go near the water, you will be punished to death or, or near death near-death punishments. So that sent a message to obviously all of the enslaved people and, and, and of course, families, fathers, and, and especially the mothers, they would teach their young, young ones at the time, don't go near the water mm. because that was sure death or, or, or near death or that would have such severe penalties that it got in, in, ingrained in all of us at that time or all of our ancestors at that time not to go near the water. And so you have that cycle, what I call the cycle of, of our ancestors being able to swim. They instituted such harsh penalties to break the cycle of our ancestors being able to swim. And then you fast forward to, uh, to, to, to after uh, slavery was now illegal, right? Or, or you know, we talk about enslavement was then illegal. We fast forward to the municipal pools that were public pools at that time where everyone was, was allowed to be able to go into. When everyone moved from the city and everyone moved, uh, or I shouldn't say everyone, let me, let me rephrase that. When everyone except for black and brown people moved from outside of the city, right. only those pools were then shut down. They were drained. Because now it was no longer a use for the community that they saw as being or for a priority. Now the pools became private institutions, mm. right? Country clubs where membership based. Um, so that created exclusion. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. For our community. And so you top that off with the fact that from early on, we were told not to go near the water. That was not our space. To then... and. Now we're fast forwarding into more modern times where now it's taken away from us. So we're told not to go around it. Then you take it away from us when we did have access to it. And now we're trying to regain access into the spaces, into you know, where we are now in times. We're trying to regain into those spaces. But we still have that mindset of we shouldn't go near the water, that we don't belong there. And it's in, it's in our mind and it's backed up in our minds because now when we look at swimming, we look into those spaces, we don't typically see people who look like us. We don't see an environment and a space that's inviting to us because we don't see ourselves. Representation, it, I know it's been said over and over, but representation matters. 
being able to see someone who looks like us or resembles us or resembles someone that we know very well and we feel comfort with has a lot to do with our ability to step into those spaces. So there's a lot that goes into that. I only touched on a very few of them, but uh, that's, that's a lot of the history that goes behind why we don't see the representation in our black and brown community in the water spaces um, at competitive level, recreational level, um, or any level, uh, so to speak. We have a, very, we have a limited uh, amount of people who are lifeguards or pool operators who do any other type of recreational water sports. And again, it has all to do with that, uh, that cycle being broken. I never even considered the role the transatlantic slave trade played in swimming. I never, until you said it in this moment, I'd never even given thought to that. I mean, but it, you make a great point. If, if we are on a boat surrounded by water and cannot swim, we're automatically imprisoned. But if we can swim, it's a conduit to freedom. Therefore, you're shackled, so sure. swimming becomes sure. increasingly difficult. Wow. I think the obvious place to go from that is probably a pretty big question. How do we begin to change it? I, I mean, in, in my history, as I talked about, swimming was a big part of, of, of what I did. Now, for me, it was primarily because I lived in a neighborhood that was, I'd say, probably 85, if not 90% white. They they had a pool, right? So I was always there. I was blessed that my, my parents had the discretionary income to afford swimming lessons. And because of that, I was always, I was always in the pool. And then when I did go to the municipal pool, it was full of us. Now, the reality of it being full of us wasn't that we were all swimming, but most of us were playing in the shallow end, walking, throwing water guns, and running. So how do we see this issue and, and begin to change it? How do we increase the diversity in the sport from a recreational standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, from a professional standpoint? How do we do that? You know, it, 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 to me, it's as simple as it gets. It has to be an institutional change, mm. right? There was a system that was created that favored uh, whites in America that didn't that did not favor people of color. Yeah. And so, it, what we have to do is we have to create a, a system that is going to rectify those wrongs. And that system starts with being able to have more access. Um, and that system goes also goes into more of a requirement. Um, there are a lot of states who are fighting very hard now to make learning to swim a requirement in the school system. Mm. And I think that's exactly where you have to start. You have to start because the, the likelihood of someone ha- drowning or having a near drowning experience is lessened by 10 times if they have early exposure and two, if they have a positive early exposure. So being able to, ha- you know, and, and what child will not enjoy going to a pool? Right. I think there's very few that are born or I don't know if there's anyone who's born with an innate fear of the water. We learn that fear. There might be an apprehension like, whoa, what is this? But once you, you know, you get your feet in, you start kicking up a little bit, you know, you get, you know, get a little water on your face, you rub it off, and you keep moving. You know, what child doesn't enjoy that? And 
And what better opportunity to enjoy it than amongst your peers, your classmates, you know, in, in your primary or elementary schools. Um, so I think that institutionally, we should really be pushing for legislation that makes learning to swim a requirement yeah. in early learning um, environments. That way, again, remember we talked about that cycle yeah. that was broken. We are creating a new cycle, a new positive structure that will then carry them on because if they they learn how to swim or they get that exposure to be learn to swim opportunities, they are more likely to carry it on because swimming is an enjoyable sport. I'm not talking about from the competitive side. That's a that's a bonus, but just being able to swim and not having the concern that you will eventually grow into of I don't know how to swim, so I'm not going to this pool party. I don't know how to swim, so I'm not going on the boat. I don't know how to swim, so when I go over a bridge, I'm extremely nervous. You know, those types of things then become less and less because I do know how to swim. So I'm more comfortable. And then more and more doors start to open up, whether it be competitive swim or job opportunities, um, enjoying family vacations. You know, those, that, those things open up so much more when you're able to break that cycle, as I said, to, to create a, um, a, a institutional type of change. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's gonna ha- that would have the biggest impact. It's funny you you brought up one institutional change. I absolutely agree with it. I absolutely love it. Um, but you brought up the, the job aspect of it, which I I had not considered. Um, during your introduction, you you talked about your scholarship, which which I had not considered. Right. So even without the institutional change, because whether or not it's happening today or not, it's it's definitely not finished today. There are still motivations for parents and children to make their way to the sport, right? You mentioned just the pure enjoyment of it, because Lord knows I got that. You mentioned the jobs and even the scholarships, and I want to talk about that a little bit as well, but I want to run these numbers by you and see if these are still factual, because I did a little research, and these are the numbers that I saw, and honestly, they they were scary to me. It was astonishing, right? Um, the data that I saw, I think, came from like 2010. So I don't know if there's more updated data. I didn't see it. But it said that 58 to 60% of black children cannot swim, which is double the rate of white children. Um, it talked about the fact that black children die from drowning at a rate three to four times higher than that of black children. What, I mean, of white children, which goes back to that story that I told earlier from from a decade ago where one child began to drown and seven died, right? To, to me, that's, I don't even know the words for that. And, and then the last that I saw said that less than 2% of collegiate and or USA swimmers identify as black. Like these numbers are, are it's wicked to me, especially when you compound it with the history lesson you just gave us going all the way back to prior to the transatlantic slave trade. Are these numbers still right? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, unfortunately, yes. Um, These are staggering numbers. And as I mentioned, you know, it's a public health crisis in our community. And, um, you know, without some significant change, without significant institutional systematic changes, you're not going to see a budge in those numbers that is going to give anyone any, any form of comfort. There are, there are small things that are going on every single day in, in different communities that are helping with these numbers. But we need dramatic change. Right. And again, I think that just comes from you know, that institutional mindset 
of being making it a requirement. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, listen, you know, we require our, our children to do other things, right? We have them, they're required to take, do active shooting drills, you know, on, on their campus. There's a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. Why are we not doing something that can, that can almost ensure, you know, nothing's a hundred percent, but give it a higher likelihood of survival, given a water, you know, uh, an experience near or in within the water. Mm-hmm. So, Hell, or the bathtub, because yeah, kids are dying in it's bathtubs. It's mind-blowing that we're... Exactly. The bathtubs, small tanks of water. And, and what, what bothers me is communities think that the solution is to, instead of having swimming pools, is to have splash parks. That's how they're fighting these numbers. So instead of teaching someone or, or, or investing into resources to have Learn to Swim programs in a swimming pool... You have communities that will basically cement with them, mm-hmm. but leave about two or three inches so that you can have a splash park. So there's still cooling stations for your community. That is not helping whatsoever. If anything, I think it's more counterproductive because now you're, you're limiting the space that should be better used for an opportunity yeah. to learn how to swim, not just as a youth, but as a family. Because again, this is something... Our youth are learning, are not learning how to swim, most likely because their parents or grandparents did not know how to swim. Yeah. And that, to me, again, is just part of the cycle, yeah. right? The number one instructor for any youth is going to be their family members, most especially their mother or their father, because they're modeling. They're yeah. con- that's their number one form of learning is modeling. So if mommy or daddy or sister or brother or auntie, if they're doing those things, then they're likely also to be engaged in them. So creating splash parks instead of pouring the resources into learn to swim. And I mean, again, you know, going back to the, the opportunities for jobs, these are jobs within the community. You have lifeguard positions that could be filled within the community. Yeah. You have pool operator positions that could be filled within within the community. Recreational center, you know, those types of things. One of the greatest events that I typically go to throughout the year um, is one in Cary, uh, North Carolina, called the Black Heritage Swim Meet. And the other is here in Washington, D.C., called the Black History Swim Meet. And one of the most beautiful things that you'll see, in addition to all of these black and brown children competing at this swim meet, which both meets were founded at a time where blacks could not compete in um, swimming events within the country. So they, they started these two events. One of the beautiful things outside, in addition to seeing these black and brown children competing, even to this day, is seeing the black and brown officials, mm. the black and brown coaches, the black and brown pool operators. It's almost a family reunion of sorts for the swimming community um, every single year. And to know, bringing together all of these people for a national event we know that things are, 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 are happening and positive yeah. things are happening. But every single time we go to these events, we're hearing more and more pools being closed, more and more splash parks being built, less and less opportunities within our communities. And in the struggle becoming more difficult to continue these programs um, because of, of lack of resources. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, having those, a black coach, having a black pool operator, black officials, those are going to make it more inviting for our community yeah. to, to take part in lessons as well as, as the swimming teams as yeah. well. And, you know, that, that's one of the big reasons why we run our camp yeah. every summer yeah. uh, is because 
there are no other camps on HBCU campuses for swimming and diving that are at a competitive level. So that was one of the biggest reasons we wanted to bring people in so that they could see our team, they could see our facility, they could meet the coaches and know that this is a possibility for those who work hard enough, yeah. you know, to get to get a chance. Yeah. That actually brings up some, I, I was going to go into this, but you've already created the, the entryway. Knowing that, that Howard has the camp and, and knowing that you all have a swim and a diving team, historically, it hasn't always been this way, correct? There were HBCUs had swim teams, or at least more had swim teams once upon a time, correct? Absolutely. What happened? Because I, I'm, a, I'm a product of HBCU. My wife is a product of HBCU. Most of my friends are products of HBCUs. And I look at HBCUs as pillars of leadership and inspiration in and around our community. So what was the factors or what were the factors rather that led to us backing off of this sport? What happened? My opinion, yeah, you have the you have people in leadership who who miss who did not understand the value of swimming uh, at at an HBCU. We have people who have that the mindset that swimming is not something that Black people do. Mm-hmm. That the the community that they're serving as an institutional leader has did not have value, which in me, in my opinion is is a disservice yeah. to the community. Again. Looking at the statistics that you just talked about, that's a disservice because at an HBCU, you have a concentrated amount of your community here, of the black and brown community. What better place to, again, break the cycle and create a new cycle than on the HBCU campus? Now, from the competitive swimming perspective, several HBCUs. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Had swimming and diving, competitive swimming and diving programs um, pre-80s. And just like okay. we saw in the public school system, yeah, just like we saw in the public school system, the institution of desegregation, right? Where now blacks were had the opportunity to go to legally to go to any other school that did have an impact where we saw, you know, more black and browns going to PWI schools where they once were not capable of going to, they were not allowed to be able to go to. So uh, that factor had, it made it, it made an impact where we did see less and less talent because now that talent could go to any other school nearby in the country. So that did have an impact as well. But I think the main impact was, again, the institutional leadership did understand the value because they had the mindset that black people didn't swim and that this did, did not, uh, swimming was not of value in our community. Wow, that's wild. So, you know, as, as we talk about that, and there's going to be some parent who hears this, and they swam or their children swim. And the question is going to turn into, how do I get my son involved? How do I get my daughter involved in this? They're not at the collegiate level yet. Maybe there's a scholarship in, the, in their, their future by doing this. How, how does someone in, you know, XYZ city get their, their son or daughter, their child involved in competitive swimming? You know, um, getting involved in the, in the competitive world, age group swimming, um, USA Swimming is the national governing body there. So 
you know, it's very simple to kind of look onto the website and find a local team near you. Um, I, I think the bigger question, Darius, is is not so much from the competitive side. Because mm. um, a lot of times we see the competitive side will take care of itself gotcha. because those that have the means, they're going to find a yeah, way. Makes um, sense. My bigger concern is those that don't have the means. You know, my bigger concern is how do you find a learn to swim program? How do you force, literally force, mm your community to support more learn to swim programs. Those are the type of things that I think our community needs to be um, having at the forefront of their mind more so than the competitive side. That makes sense. But I think, again, that's going to take care of itself. And what, what's, be, what's beautiful about it is the more, uh, the more within our community that learn how to swim, the more that are going to go on to competitive swim because they're, you know, it's like anything else. Once you get that taste and that's what you like and that's what you love, you're going to find a, you're going to find a way to continue that. And then you're going to be able to take it to its fullest. Um, but if you don't have that, that early access, that early entry point and your community is not, uh, your community doesn't have it. Your high school doesn't offer it in. And additionally, when you're HBCU, right, you're, you're a product of HBCU and, your, your HBCU doesn't have a swimming and diving competitive program, right? The question will then be, do they, have, do they at least have learned to swim as a class structure on their campus, right? And if the answer to that is no. if we had a pool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's also a good question. Um, there, there are quite a few that, that filled in their pools that are now, you know, they're either parking lots or they are, or they fill, you know, they filled it in and, and made a basketball gym mm-hmm. out of it. Right. Um, I, I would actually argue that there are more than, you know, that still have their pools functioning, but they are probably functioning under capacity, meaning they, they are not utilizing it to its full potential, especially in our community. And then the question goes in, what does it take to get a competitive swim program back at their, you know, at their institution? Um, I know it will, it will probably bite me in the end, but oh my gosh, I would absolutely love it if other HBCUs had swimming and diving programs. And the bottom line is there's a lot of opportunity for them to out-recruit me because so many of our HBCUs are state-funded institutions. Mm-hmm. So you, Howard is a private institution. So we don't, we, Howard doesn't offer in-state tuition. So a state institution could literally have no scholarships for swimming and diving. But the fact that you're going to pay drastically less mm-hmm. Because it's an in-state in, uh, an institution, that that's tough. I mean, yes, there are so many schools in Maryland. I'll speak directly of Virginia. I'll speak directly of, and then North Carolina. Those are the three main areas that I know swimming very well because that's where I grew up. That's obviously I'm in the Mid Atlantic region now, so I know very well of those schools. Uh, in-state tuition, or, or those three states, those are hotbeds for swimming. And 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 not and uh, so many of the areas, Charlotte, the the Raleigh, Durham, Cary, that area, that triangle area is rich with people of color who swim and swim very well. Maryland is rich with people of color and swim very well. So they could go to a Maryland school, Virginia school, North Carolina school, not get a swimming scholarship, but because they're paying in-state tuition, they would play less mm. than they would on scholarship uh, coming to Howard. So again, I know that that could bite me, but you know what? I'm happy for, for, to have that, that as an issue, you know, um, and, and it can yeah. be done. Uh, it, that it bite can be means done. as a community, we're moving in the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, as you talked about. Absolutely. The, and that's, that's what we do it for. 
Yeah. As you talked about the folks in North Carolina and Virginia that are swimming and doing well, it made me think, earlier we mentioned like the Naomi's, the Serena's, the, the Venus's, the, the Tiger's. Are there are there standouts? Are there iconic swimmers that we just don't know about that that happen to be black men and women that we could be checking for, looking for, waiting to see them in the Olympics? Are there folks that are standing out and really doing it? Well, you know, interesting kind of uh, question within itself, mm-hmm. right? One of the things we also have to be careful of is swimming's not swimming is not a sport that you're just going to just turn on the TV, you're flipping through channels and you're flipping through the guide, you're going to stop at. Right. Because again, you, you don't see, it's not the type of sport that's, you know, and every other day you can see a competition that really has uh, uh, what we feel is, is some significance or relevance, right? Sport is built a lot around the hype. Right. And the, you can easily get within the NBA or NFL, you can create hype around almost any game. And God knows if it's a rivalry, oh my gosh, everybody's going to watch. You're not even a football fan, but you're going to watch, you're going to have a party. There's going to be a significant reason. Swimming is a different dynamics, a different sport, and it doesn't necessarily have that. What is our hype moment? Mm -hmm. The Olympics. Mm. How often does that happen? Yeah, every four years. Every four years. And the U.S. is the number one swimming nation in the world. Know that. So for us to have a standout person of color at the Olympics or in route to making the U.S. Olympic team, it is one of the most difficult feats mm. in all of sport because of, again, the U.S. being the top nation in swimming. So you're talking about you have to be 1% of the 1% mm. in order to be you know, put into that spotlight. We have had a few that have done it. We have had a few. Maritza Correa, now married, Maritza McClendon. Um, she was the first African-American female to make the Olympic team to medal um, at the Olympics. You have Cullen Jones, um, who if you Google right now, the, uh, what is the phrase, um, the, the most exciting uh, relay race in history, right? Or most exciting race in history. I guarantee, swimming race in history, I guarantee you, the, uh, the 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 relay that Cullen was on will come up like pop up immediately with Cullen, Lezak, um, Michael Phelps. Uh, I forgot the fourth guy. It'll come back to me. Um, I see it right here. Just the biggest comeback. Yeah, see, it yeah. pops right on up. Um, so C- Cullen's right in there. You you um, you have Simone Manuel, right, who won Olympic gold uh, and in in twenty six. COVID year uh, last year she made the Olympic or, or last Olympic she made the Olympic team as well um, she did well there but there there are not a lot because again it's so difficult yeah. to make it to that highest level of where the mainstream community sees it as something yeah. watchable plus then you've got all those factors we talked about at the beginning that that, that make the, the pool even harder like the, the funnel at the top of black swimming isn't big and broad enough yet Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the things that we're super conscious of at the collegiate level. Um, you know, just recently we we hosted the largest swimming and diving collegiate swimming and diving meet um, in history at an HBCU. That was the arguably battle one of the, the largest Is that the one? at any institution. The yes, sir. Yeah. The battle at the Burr. Hey, I do my and research. We did that strategically. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're up on it. You're up on it. Um, we were strategic about doing that. We wanted to create hype. We wanted to create something that people would be interested in. What is all this talk about? Um, typically at our home meets, we have 500 people at every single home meet, which is really unheard of in collegiate swimming. Because again, there's not a lot of hype surrounding it. And then when you top that on the fact that most of the people who attend our meets, mm-hmm. the highest percentage are people of color. Mm-hmm. We've created something here that can bring people into the environment that feel good. Yeah. You know, I tell my team all the time, you've, you know, for a fan experience, you think about what's important, right? What's important when you go to a spectator event, to a fan experience? In my mind, number one is food. You got to have some food, right? So we, we have with a food black truck, folks, baby. Right, that has food there. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, please, right? Like, come on, <laughs> we know. And number two, I, I, I'll let you. I'll let you guess this one. Any fan experience, any spectator event. What's number two? You got to have it. I think it's co- probably a combination, or, or it's got to be maybe either music or like some sort of okay, music. I knew it had to be up there, especially with with us. The, the, yes, yes. It's you got to have music, right? You got to have something to keep the energy going, especially for people who don't understand the environment. They don't understand the races. They don't understand what's going on yet. And then number three, you got to give them a product worth watching. Yeah, you got to give them yeah. something to, to 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 put their eyes on. To be like, oh, and swimming is a pure sport. It's who is the fastest. When you start, everybody starts together. Who's going to be the first to finish? Yeah. So it's a very pure sport, and the fact that people can get engaged by seeing how pure the sport is, who touches the wall first, who's going to get you know touched first, get the first place um, point fit for finish. And be energized in the in-between that they don't understand, okay, what's taking so long? Why is the next race, you know, not happening yet? Or what is going on? You still got the energy with the music. Oh, you don't have to worry about, okay, I'm hungry. I'm ready to go. You have the food. Those are things that, you know, in our sport that I think are helping um, for us to be able to get a bigger space of exposure. Yeah. You you mentioned like, I think you said five or 600 people at most meets now. My research said you sold like 2,000 tickets to this, so you outstripped the, the hell out of that number, correct? Yes, yes. Listen, <laughs> there is, we sold out a swim meet. That's crazy. Right. I, I don't think people understand this. And like, I have to say it slowly so each little point like really sits in. Take your time, we brother. Take your time. swim meet on an HBCU campus where most of the people were black and brown people in the stands. We're not talking about, you know, Georgetown was an amazing partner in this entire endeavor. Coach Levitt over there is doing a phenomenal job. They're the biggest conference champions. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he and I have collaborated on a lot of community events. So they, were, they are our rival, but I, uh, you know, I want people to completely understand yeah. that, man, they, they, were, they were basically they Nipsey Hustle. They were 10 toes down in this with us. Love it. And, you know, I give a ton of kudos for them. We wanted to beat them. We wanted to beat them really, really bad. We got very, very close to beating them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my hat, I tip my hat off to, to, to Coach Levitt over there and that program uh, because they really, really allowed us to be partners in this. Yeah. And, and we were very strategic with it. So um, they, being able to create that hype around it to be able to sell out. Two, we, we opened tickets and two weeks later, we were sold out. And that was one of the biggest things that we wanted to do. The second biggest thing we wanted to do is we wanted to be able to fundraise for our program. 
We wanted to make sure that our program has that sustainability resource of people pouring into it from donations, in-kind support, et cetera. Uh, and, we're, and we're doing a really good job on, uh, on that front as well. Nick, I, I love to hear that, man. It's, I had, I, I thought about my sweet meats when I was a kid and the only people there were our parents and I don't think they wanted to be there. <laughs> so, bro, when I when I saw two thousand people at a swim meet, I said, "Okay, they're doing something right over yeah. there. That's that's significant. That's I, I, yeah. without the experience yeah. of having been at a collegiate level swim meet, what clicked to me is they're doing something right to bring yeah. that many people out and create that much excitement. I think that's an amazing thing. And let me let me also add this. You know, we had that many people there, but. We also it was it was during the time where the hurricane was coming up the coast. Oh wow! Right? And we still had packed stadium, right, or packed or packed gym. And it was also they had closed the streets because it was open streets DC for people from DC who were familiar with. It's basically Georgia Avenue Day, you know, reinvented. So they had street closures, et cetera, all around the campus, which made it very very difficult to come to the event even in the, the day of. But man, it didn't stop people. People came. They had an incredible time. Um, you look at the stands. You look at the excitement. You look at the energy that was that was invoked in there. And again, you know, we did this because we wanted to raise the awareness. We wanted not only did we want to have the environment, but we also poured resources into broadcasting the event so that people around the world either could watch it live oh, wow. or they can go back and look at it themselves later yeah. on. You know, and feel that type the, the type of energy and see how competitive we are against an extremely talented team, extremely well-coached team, and to, uh, and to be able to say, you know what? Let's enroll our son or our daughter into swim lessons. This could be something yeah. they could get into. I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When you talk about the street being closed, you're not talking about that street where, like, the pot bellies in the Barnes & Nobles is, are you? Is that the street? Are you talking about the one that goes through campus? That's just, No, that's Georgia Avenue. Yeah, that one was closed. <laughs> That had to be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. The main thoroughfare. Oh, right. Let me tell you. When we found out that they were they they had this event on the same weekend that we had already you know done all this, we had already sold the tickets, so we, <laughs> we couldn't cancel it. You know, we couldn't postpone it. We were like, oh my gosh. Um, but let me tell you, my my planning committee uh, was amazing. We we strategized. We we got golf carts. We we developed a plan with the campus police and the community. We even talked to the council member who was amazing, um, Brianna Doe, who's the, the, the ward one council member for her. She was she was very helpful in the process and it it did not it did not deter people. And again, that's that's that power of of, of what you can do yeah. if you if you just work towards it. And you 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 give some pe- you give people something that they they can really kind of connect with. Yeah. Um, and we think we accomplished that. Yeah. Well, well well coach, I am I am pleased to have had this conversation. We're at the end of our time. One thing I want to say is Howard University continues to impress me. My son is a senior in high school this year. Um, he He's looking to major in animation. Uh, and again, his mother and I are both products of HBCUs. Howard is one of the only schools, only HBCUs, I think they're just two of them, that have animation programs. Then to hear you're the only one with uh, the swimming and diving program, Hats off to you all for making sure that there are options for folks who look like us and want to be around folks who look like us. I, I could not be happier from what <laughs> I've seen from Howard. Plus, I love the Barnes & Noble on campus. thought it was the dopest thing going. And, uh, man, with that, 
we, 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 we give every guest the opportunity to close out the show. You can tell our listeners whatever it is that's on your heart and mind to share with them. The only thing we do ask is that you share how they can engage with you, track you, keep up with you, or what Howard's got going on. And with that, my brother, the floor is yours. Hey, Darius, I really appreciate the opportunity just to talk about the program, to talk about swimming in our community. Um, again, I, I think it's one of the things that we can make a difference. And if we really put our hearts, minds, and muscles behind uh, the things that are, can create some some institutional change, some some significant changes, then uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, the water is is a space that is open to everyone and should be open to everyone. Yeah. There, we 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 no longer have to give in to the barriers that that were surrounding us. Um, I I encourage all of our listeners um, to to continue to follow the team. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, floating content about our team, not just as competitive swimmers, but what we're doing in the community, what we're doing um, a- academically, because one of the most important things that I always tell our recruits and our parents about is, you know, HBCUs, Howard University as an institution of higher learning, and you're coming here to get an amazing degree, and that this makes sense for, for your future, then, you know, we highly encourage you. To, to apply um, and to become, you know, a member of that institution. So grades first, academics first, make sure that those are together because it doesn't matter how fast you are, how, uh, how many TikTok followers you are. You ain't got the grades, you ain't getting in. Amen. So, um, you know, again, thank you, Darius. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, I'm hoping that your, your, your son, the animation major, Makes a makes a healthy decision, My brother. I am I am <laughs> pulling, pushing, prodding, pu- all the peas, pulling, pro- prodding, poking, all that. I'm trying my <laughs> best to get him there. Listen, Wild Black, you know I'll have all of the socials and everything you need in the episode description. While he was talking, I looked up the IG page. It is HU Swimming. Very easy. You can go check it out right there. I'll have everything else in the episode description. With that, Wild Black, peace. We out. We love you. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.